You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Monday the 28th of February, back here in TW11 after that trip to Riyadh to cover the Saudi Cup. And one of the biggest shocks in recent global racing history, up there certainly to rival Torquato Tasso's arc and almost to rival Arkong's Breeders' Cup Classic. No betting in Saudi Arabia, but 80-1 to 1 in the UK Emblem Road and over 100-1 to 1 on the Paramutual in the US. The story of the race really was success for Panamanian-born, once US-based, once Florida Derby-winning Wiggy Ramos, who's plied his trade for 23 years in the kingdom. Uh, a remarkable triumph for him, and it's fair to say that the crowd went pretty wild. But the race was as notable for its dismal disappointments as it was for its great triumph of its local hero. Nothing from Mishrif. We await news of him and whether his racing career will continue. Nothing at all from Mandaloon. He just didn't bring his game and the best of the Americans, Country Grammar and Midnight Bourbon, both of whom may now be bound for the Dubai World Cup. Busy enough in the UK, considering our proximity to the Cheltenham Festival, certainly bits and pieces of news coming out, as well as some significant performances. We'll be digesting those a little later in the programme. And perhaps the most informative performance as regards the festival over the weekend came from Knight Salute, who cemented his claims for the JCB Triumph Hurdle. For all that he has a barrage of good Irish horses to tackle, he is an interesting proposition. You'll be hearing from his trainer Milton Harris a little later in this show and he says he cannot envisage a scenario in which this horse is not in the first three at the festival. All that to come. Uh, First of all, however, uh, another instalment, uh, the expected second instalment of Paul Kimmage's very interesting piece in the Irish Independent on Sunday surrounding his investigation into the alleged use of performance enhancing drugs and the story that has unravelled from that concerning uh, Stephen Mann, the trainer who is already serving a suspension for breaches of welfare regulations and who was potentially a whistleblower on PEDs. Uh, The processes of the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board have once again been called into question. Dave Yates, a newsboy from the Daily Mirror, is with me. Dave, this is a very, very difficult, long, unwieldy, complex, very interesting, very readable piece to to digest and to pracy, but give it your best shot. Yeah, it's a long piece and it's it's well worth a read. It's It reads like a, uh, something of a pot boiler. Uh, I'll do my best to praise you. Essentially, last week, uh, the allegation really was that the IHRB had not pursued uh, the claims against trainer X made by uh, whistleblower Stephen Marm uh, thoroughly or adequately. Um, this time, there's a slightly different take, and that is that essentially the IHRB had pressured a, uh, an employee of Stephen Marnes who um, suffered from um, mental health issues uh, into giving evidence and that, that this had, had failed at the final hurdle, that um, the, uh, the stable employee who, whose name is given, and this isn't her real name, as Anna Wilson, uh, that at the IHRB inquiry last March that uh, she didn't give evidence, uh, she wrote a letter saying that 
Stephen Marn, subsequently she wrote a, a letter saying that Stephen Marn was an excellent uh, employee. There was also a letter from her father saying that um, he intended to take action against the IHRB for, for the way that, he, that uh, they'd pressured his daughter. So essentially um, what we have this time, rather than the IHRB not uh, pursuing uh, the claims adequately, uh, we have the allegation that indeed the, the IHRB pressurised or pressured um, a witness into giving evidence against Stephen Mann, which would discredit him and along with him uh, the claims that he, has, he had made against the IHRB uh, of doping in the sport and which last week we were told uh, that they had not investigated thoroughly. I think that's about the best I can do. Okay, I think that's pretty good. Uh, yesterday's statement, there's nothing further. I've contacted the IHRB again today. Uh, they're saying they're sticking with yesterday's statement, which is we advised the Sunday Independent that based on the questions we received, we believe their information to be out of date, incomplete and inaccurate. The IHRB has acted professionally and appropriately at all times. Some of the correspondence used is highly selective, outdated and incomplete. Really, there's only one sentence that's important there, which is the IHRB has acted professionally and appropriately at all times. And that'll be the sticking point, whether the correspondence between Lynn Hillier, the head of anti-doping, and the uh, woman in question, uh, whether that uh, correspondence is, um, is, is, is proper in the course of the investigation, really. Uh, what we have here is uh, a situation whereby now I, I often have a go at the British Horse Racing Authority for what I perceive as a bit of a, well, not a bit of, a closed door policy whereby uh, uh, they don't really give us anything in the way of uh, detail or information and I, I stand by uh, the view that I think sometimes they could be a little bit uh, more open house in the way that they deal with things however um, in this instance the what, what we're what we're invited to believe by this article is that the the IHRB's uh, refusal to give details uh in some way um shows that that there is something to hide and that there is there is truth uh, in the allegation that a they didn't pursue the allegations into uh, trainer x thoroughly or adequately and also that um that the uh, the claim that anna wilson was was pressured uh, also holds water but i think you know we we have to live in the real world in in this uh, in this case and that in this situation there are quite naturally going to be uh, huge uh swathes of of evidence uh, and of activity uh, within the ihrb um that, that is going to remain confidential they're not going to go uh, open house about this and say right okay well since you since you since you asked this is what was said and this is what we did about it um it, it's quite proper that a regulator should uh, have that level of confidentiality about an issue this serious and so i think that a it's unreal to to, to ask them to open up and uh, b i think that you know it, it's it's quite right uh, that they shouldn't yeah, the, the article doesn't really explore the fact that, that Stephen Mann, whether or not he is a reliable witness here, um, had previous. So it's not as though, if, if, you're being, if you're being asked to consider the idea that the IHRB was overzealous in its prosecution of Stephen Mann for very serious animal welfare breaches, it sort of reckons without his, his previous charge sheet, really, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, this is... This is another uh, issue with this piece and last week's when Stephen Marn is, uh, is, is revealed as the, essentially 
to use a, a tabloid term, the, the whistleblower in chief. Um, we, we know about his records. Uh, he's serving a, a, a four year ban reduced to three and a half uh, for neglect issues relating to horses in his care. Um, there is there are clearly um, there are there are attempts in in yesterday's piece and the piece from the previous Sunday to to add something to uh, something of a lick of paint uh, to Stephen Mann's reputation. Now, in a way, that's not really necessary because uh, we're we're familiar in the criminal law with um, the, with the phrase uh, "turning Queen's evidence," whereby. Uh, someone who's already uh, suspected or proven uh, to have committed a crime can still give evidence. And so um, the fact that, that Stephen Mann is, is seen in a negative light through the, uh, the ban that he's uh, serving does not preclude the possibility that he's giving uh, evidence that, that holds water and that, that can be extremely useful in leading to uh, those people who are, who are transgressing the rules regarding doping, if indeed uh, that's a situation that exists. But whilst that's true, I, I think that we're getting to the situation now where um, I, I'm not sure we're getting any closer with articles like this. Um, that, that that come out week after week you know we we know what the holy grail is in this uh story don't we it's a name and we're not getting any closer to those i don't think yeah that, that's what i was going to ask you is there a danger that we are i realize we're talking about it and we're leading this podcast with it but is there a danger that that the wider racing public because i'm not sure how how much this has kind of permeated beyond it um, the wider racing public is becoming almost desensitised to this. And it's a subject that's very serious and that we, we take very seriously. Very definitely. Um, you know, I, I, I've read these pieces with admiration. You know, they're, they're well-written pieces and no one could knock uh, Paul Kimmage or David Walsh for the work that they've done in, in horse racing and in sports over the years, principally, of course, with Lance Armstrong um, in cycling. But there is a law of diminishing returns with this, Nick, that when you're, when there is a splash with, like, you know, racing's dirty secrets, another blockbuster uh, from our star reporter, when people read that one after another and we're not getting closer to that holy grail, or at least it, it doesn't appear that we're getting closer. And we know why that is, because legally, if trainer X were to be named or anyone else, anyone else were to be named um, in the media, the, 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 the legal consequences that would follow that in terms of a libel case uh, would be absolutely uh, huge and, and seismic. Um, but the, the fact is that we are reading more of these pieces and we're not getting it seems much closer uh, to that holy grail and as i say as a result we're getting the law of diminishing returns where bit by bit degree by degree every time these comes out i think that the shock value is lessened okay let's turn our attentions to what was going on over the weekend in britain and ireland uh, most significant performance perhaps came from knight salute in the adonis juvenile hurdle at kempton park i've been speaking to his trainer milton harris and asked him his feelings on that horse's effort and whether he'd enhanced his claims for the triumph hurdle. Look, it was a relief. Uh, he, he, um, you remember, we, so we went to Sagefield, looking back, it's all, which is obviously easy. We went to Sagefield first time, I think he opened 12 to 1 and went out to 18 to 1, and I'm watching it on TV thinking, what do they know? I don't know. And he, and he obviously won comfortably. And, and he is a thoroughly professional 
workmanlike horse. It's probably not as sexy as Willie's horse or Gordon's horse. But, you know, you, you couldn't help but be pleased with his attitude. He reminds me, and I, I'm loath to sort of compare because it's not fair comparing generations. He's a catchy type character, isn't he? Now, Catchit, everybody said, could never be that good. He was, he was run at market race the first time. I think he was a fairly moderate flat horse. His horse was a much better horse than Catchit than the flat. And yet he ended up winning the not only the triumph hurdle and the champion hurdle, which you couldn't credit, could you, going into that sort of window when he'd done what we've done now. So he's that type, tenacious, strong. He's not small. He's not overly big. He's never going to be a three-mile chaser. But he's a, you know, I think he doesn't get the credit maybe mm. he deserves. Yeah, I was sort of my thinking of Countrywide Flame as well. I mean, he was a much bigger yeah. price when he won the Triumph Hurdle, but he'd started off at Cartmills and Market Raisins and things like that and ran all the way through the season and then it ended up running a blinder himself in a champion hurdle. You know, these sort of nuggety-type horses who are efficient over their hurdles, their tenacity can carry them quite a long way. In your heart of hearts, how far do you think it will carry him in the Triumph Hurdle? Well, I, there is the tempting fact. I'd be very surprised if he's out the first three. Because I think what will happen is that these there's going to be probably the game, the race is, you know, I'm sure at my age now, but of course, when I used to go to the cabbage patch in the middle, I wonder what they call it now, they probably call it something else, but in effect, the cabbage patch as a boy, you know, there'll be 22 hurting down the hill, and I can remember a TiVo, you know, and Peter Sullivan's horse, and it's a different race now, isn't it? There's probably going to be somewhere between 10 and 12 runners, you know, there's going to be ourselves from this side of the water, and, and hopefully Gary subject to ground with uh, he'll probably get tempted because there's only one triumph there isn't it so uh, and i would say that we're the, the two of gary and myself probably the only sort of obvious candidates from this side of the water but i'd be very surprised if turning in he's not on the heels of them traveling now what he does up the hill is another matter but he'll stay he's, people forget as well he, he's by a derby winner out of an oak third he'll stay um, and he's tenacious. He'll run to the line. Whether he's good, nothing in the matter. But I'd be very surprised he's out this week. And he came out of the race well, did he, Milton? Yeah, he's he's it's nice. You know, Willie Carson betting with another lady who happens to live locally. They're coming to see him on Wednesday. He'll do. He he's never been a great workhorse, and I think I said in the paper because they quote you and everything you say. But I've been to Sam Wicks. We had a runner, and my head lad Tony is a good fellow, and I, we'd agreed what we were doing whilst I was away. I'm going to work him on the Tuesday when I was back, and he worked exceptionally well which he doesn't do it's not him um and so you always when something's different you always worry but the, the best horses i've had mondal many years ago was a very good juvenile they never were great work horses you know but they were good horses on the racetrack and is he going to be the, the the sole milton harris representative at the festival or have you got a few that you might you might try and fire there listen we're we're, we're delighted to be where we are we're hopefully not finished yet we're, we're, we're trying to get to a different place. Look, we, we've. I think some of the younger generation, Nick, you're you're, you're in between somewhere. But I mean, we, you know, we've had good seasons before, and we had we've had our troubles, and and we're working hard. I I actually think we might have four runners at the festival, um, which for a yard that's coming through, it, it is is commendable. I think, and we've got. Ch- I won't be running them if I don't think they have chances, um, and they're horses that I think um, will definitely have good chances and you know and some of them as good a chance as Knight's Salute maybe you know um, what, what do you think you're going to run well Knight's Salute will run in the Triumph unless some, I, I can't unless God forbid anything goes wrong I've, he's got an entry in the boot I see no point in that now we we look like we're in the top three or four in the betting for the Triumph he must go in there I have a lovely horse um, a grey horse I bought off Mark Johnson um, called Silver Shade he's got a mark of 120 
He's not a 120 horse. He's better than 120. Um, he beat a 130 horse at Fontwell the other day. They dropped back to 127, and we got 120. So I'm convinced we've, we were handicapped. Now, under norm, in normal years, I don't think you'd get in the boodles off 120. And you may not this year, but I suspect this year you might get in the boodles off high teens, 117, 118, that sort of race. Um, he, he is definitely one handicapped. He's, uh, since he won, he's had two, three runs first. One first time out, which I thought he would at Kempton, then disappointed at uh, Cheltenham behind Pied Piper. I'm absolutely convinced, whilst I accept Pied Piper is probably a very good horse, I think the race, I think the form's worth nothing. I think the race fell apart. My horse finished distressed. Um, two or three others didn't run the race, and the horse that finished second uh, was well beaten by um, Night Salute at Kempton on Saturday. Uh, there's something about the race doesn't add up. So um, I think my horse is a competitor off that mark. Should he get in? A big competitor, uh, and we we might run two in the bumper, which seems a bit mad. But and the, and the stats say they things are against them. But I've got a couple. Mullenbeg that won Estefania's allowance, and she won round Cheltenham. Um, she was impressive. She quickened up well, um, and I've got a very good filly that would be as good as anything we've got in the yard. Who's predominantly flat bred, but is seventeen hands. A filly, a four year old filly. So she gets the filly's allowance, the four year old allowance. She won the first time out at Wing County and beat in one of Paul's. She then went to Newby in the listed bunker and finished second and she should have won really, but it's things haven't gone her way. They've quickened into the straight. She's got uh, she's got in a bad position and bit of checked in her run and she probably without wishing to take any of the race from the winner should have won the race uh, Rosie Redrum but she gets £17 off the Gaudins in the race she will travel 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 they won't get her off the book by till turning in and then we'll see if she gets up the hill but so we could run two in the bumper at least one in the um, uh, Boodles and we have another option there Ali Amarna who was beaten five and a half lengths by Night um, Salute at uh, where did we, we at Cheltenham when he won his grade two there and she's off a mark of 115 so she runs at Doncaster this week and she needs to win to justify in it, uh, going forward into that and obviously nice to lose so we haven't got any chases unfortunately which is a disappointment but we're still growing a young yard coming forward so they'll come uh, Milton Harris there uh, Dave plenty of news emerging from the weekend not just what happened on the track but also uh, with a, a view to Cheltenham just around the corner yeah, just going into uh, the weekend, Nick, there were a couple of uh, exchange drifter stories. One was about John Bomb in the Supreme Novices, and Nicky Henson was asked about this uh, at the weekend at Kempton and said, essentially, all I can tell you is that the horse is okay, and as far as I'm concerned, he's going for the Supreme Novices hurdle at Cheltenham on March the 15th. I think John Bond went out to about 10 to 1 on betting exchanges. Yesterday, he had settled back into 5.5, so basically 4 to 1 and and bits if you take off the commission. I don't buy that 9 to 2 thing, because you still have to take off uh, a percentage. And um, he's... He's on course, spoke to Frank Berry yesterday, he's, he's on course for the Supreme Novices. Similarly with Allegria de Vassi, uh, the mayor of Willie Mullins and Rich Riches, who uh, lost her place at the head of the market for the Dawn Run Mayor's Novices Hurdle, sponsored by Parnell Properties. Um, the, the, the inference from that that I drew was perhaps that something wasn't well, that she might not go for that race or she might go uh, for one of her other uh, four other engagements at the Cheltenham Festival. 
people, but I spoke to Joe Chambers yesterday, Rich Rich's racing manager, and he said uh, she's fine. She's on course for uh, the Dawn Run Mayor's Novices Hurdle, that, that she has those other engagements, but they're just there as a precaution. So uh, those two drifters are going to run there um, as planned. Also, Ahoy Senor. Um, we had the interesting situation where this horse had a Gold Cup entry, uh, seeking perhaps to emulate Conigree in 2015 and Captain Christie uh, 41 years earlier uh, by becoming a, uh, a novice who won the Cheltenham Gold Cup. Lucinda Russell said yesterday we're going to go for the three-miler. We think that it's essentially a year early. They were, they were seduced by the idea of the new track at the new course at um, Cheltenham. They thought that the Gold Cup course would suit a hoist and you're better uh, than the old course, which stages the first two um, days of Cheltenham, including uh, the Brown Advisory Novices Chase on the Wednesday. Uh, but in spite of that, they've decided that uh, taking perhaps the, the lesser of two evils uh, to stick to the novice route for the time being, albeit on the old course, slightly less suitable, and then think about the Gold Cup next year. Um, just a, a couple of other things from the weekend. Obviously, a, a, an amazing weekend for uh, Christian Williams. Uh, he had the one-two in the, the the Coral Trophy, that uh, valuable handicap chase at Kempton, um, as uh, Cap Dunor uh, beat Kitty's Light. And also, in the space of about 20 minutes, he had the gambled-on winner of the Iden Novices chase with... Um, win my wings who was 20 to 1 on the morning of the race but won at 11 to 2 and just finally uh, a word for uh, Josh Moore and Botox has uh, who won the National Spirit Hurdle at Fontwell Park yesterday remember back in October uh, Josh Moore was uh, hospitalized when this horse fell over fences had to wait uh, wait eight days for operations uh, for an operation on his back he um, he fractured a vertebra and also broke several ribs remember we covered that story uh, at the time the the COVID-19 situation in uh, the hospital where Josh was meant that he had to wait well yesterday there was element of payback time because Botox has uh, outfought I think it's fair to say uh, brewing up a storm for the national spirit hurdle uh, to win as part of a fabulous four-timer uh, for Gary Moore at the West Sussex track yesterday yeah, and just to confirm on that subject of Ahoy Senor going for the Brown Advisory, which is the three-mile novices chase at Cheltenham on the Wednesday, uh, that race will also feature Brave Man's Game, of course. It will also feature, and Paul Nichols confirmed this. The owner suggested this last week, Max McNeil, in fairness, but Paul Nichols confirmed it yesterday that uh, three under through five would be going for that race against his stable companion. I'm not sure Nichols loves the idea. I think he'd, he'd prefer to split them up and go for the three six. But the owner wants to run and, and keep the partnership with Adrian Heskin. So that'll be two shots for Nichols to fire in that race against Ahoy Senor, which gives that race a strongish English hand, dare I say it, Dave. Yeah, it does. Um, the, the Nichols pair and Ahoy Senor. Um, the, the, the novice chases are... Well, certainly the, the, the two and a half miles, the, the, the Turner's Novices Chase and the Brown Advisory, uh, they look really strong races this year, don't they? I mean, we've got in the, the two and a half miler, uh, Galapin des Champs, we've got uh, Bob Ollinger and also L'Empresse in that as well. So um, the, those, those races in particular, looking at outside the, the open grade ones, those are two races uh, that uh, really have special appeal two weeks before the festival. 
Well, Dave, I know you uh, were watching on from afar the, the Saudi Cup, an extraordinary performance from Emblem Road to shock the world. 80 to 1 in the UK, over 100 to 1 on the Parry Mutual in the US. Uh, the biggest story locally was the success for Wiggy Ramos, uh, and, and he, I'm delighted to say, joins me now. Uh, Wiggy, I'd imagine you're, you're still pulling yourself up off the floor after that triumph on Saturday night. Can you kind of get to grips with what happened? Okay, uh, uh, two days ago I was very shocked. Uh, I, I don't really, really re- realize what I did. So now I'm going to settle down. And, well, uh, we, we, uh, I did a big, uh, big thing in, in my career. And the, the, history, the history of uh, Saudi Arabia too. I'm feeling uh, like I get the, to the highest high, uh, winner of my life. The highest winner of your life. Just tell me where where you started and how long you've been riding. Okay, I started in uh, my hometown, Panama City. I was there uh, for two years. And then I uh, after two years, I, I became a champion, champion uh, apprentice rider in my country and then I got the chance to go to America in 90, 1990. I spent uh, eight years in America uh, win win campo jockey uh, champion title uh, win 1,740 uh, races and then uh, in 98 I take a little break and uh, that's where the team fighter called me to enjoy uh, Saudi Arabia. And and then you've spent 23 seasons in in Saudi Arabia. Now, the other day, am I right in thinking that you only rode Emblem Road because Alexis Moreno chose to ride Making Miracles? What did you think going into the race? What did you think before the race? Well, well like, like, like I told you before, I've been I, I've been watching these two horses for the for the whole season. The thing they they has been they, they have been here in, in Saudi Arabia. Here's the here's the thing, Wiggy. Yeah, you've got some of the world's best horses in there, the very best Americans, the very best Europeans, and you've come and beaten them all. Are you pinching yourself, thinking how how did that happen? Well, uh, I told I told the the, the prince. And the trainer, the only way that we, we can beat the horse is we if we we take off and, and wait what the what kind of speed they're going to show in in in, in, in the lead, how how they're going to battle if we, they they going to to uh, to be a couple couple horses the 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 big hustle in the lead. So, so I told him, I I have to take a take a risk with my horse. My horse like being on those side, so that that would be better. If this 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 race come fast, I will be very. They will be very easy to me to go uh, to take a outside outside position in the before the eight hundred. Before the eight hundred, I have to be in the outside in the outside position. And, and I was worried because I got number five. If they they going if he, the race come be a little slow, that was uh, what I was uh, worried about. But I know they, they I, w- I was worried about Mushiri and 
uh, the two horses from from America. They, uh, because I know they they was uh, they they was uh, uh, they they going to be very very tough to beat. Well, it was a, an amazing performance. Uh, do you think we'll see Emblem Road in the Dubai World Cup? Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's a very good uh, decision to take this, uh, take this Emblem Road to Dubai. Well, Wiggy, it was a tremendous triumph for you. Thanks so much for talking to me. Okay, thank you, Nick. Wiggy Ramos there, um, confirming it seems as though Emblem Road will go to Dubai, but where he's likely to be ridden by his regular rider, Alexis Moreno. But a great triumph for Wiggy and just reward for all his hard work in Saudi Arabia over the last couple of decades. Well, as we approach the, the busiest and most important part of the, uh, the jump season here in, in Britain and, and in Ireland, interesting news uh, came out toward the back end of of last week about how the, the obstacles themselves will slightly change complexion across racecourses in Great Britain. James Given is the Director of Equine Health and Welfare at the British Horse Racing Authority. James, what's happening? Morning, Nick. Um, yeah, it's a phased rollout across all the uh, tracks in the UK, uh, sorry, Great Britain, um, of changing the guardrails and all the other bits that get painted orange and the, 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 the padding and so on to white um, over the uh, the rest of this year. It'll start at Stratford uh, on the Monday before Cheltenham in a couple of weeks' time. <clears throat> um, this is based on uh, research that was undertaken at Exeter University in 2017-2018, which explored the way horses actually see colours. Uh, for years, forever, horsemen have recognised that horses don't see the world in quite the way that we do. Uh, and the science has shown that uh, while uh, we all see things in black and white, we, we as humans see things based on three colours, uh, which then uh, emerge together to give us the full spectrum of the colours we enjoy. Horses see it with just two colours, two basic colours. Um, and uh, it's been discovered that orange is not the, the, the colour that actually then stands out to us. I and mean, it stands out, you know, like high-vis jackets and this sort of thing with the orange, but it doesn't so to a horse and when uh, I was thinking about this the other day it made me think that um, tigers look to us like they've got striped high-vis jackets on and yet they're a very effective predator uh, so the prey of a tiger presumably doesn't see those orange and actually sees a well camouflaged or doesn't see a well camouflaged animal so uh, it helped perhaps for me to understand how horses may not be seeing the orange um, it was established that the color they see most clearly is fluorescent uh, yellow. However, uh, the, the fluorescent yellow uh, uh, fades very quickly in UV light and, and daylight and so on. So white is the optimum colour. Um, uh, and and uh, there were uh, trials done. Uh, Richard Phillips did a lot, of, a lot of work done at Richard Phillips Yard. And plenty of other people have um, used white for schooling for some time. And, and, and interesting as well. And it's one of those sort of obvious things. And you go, well, of course it is. Uh, all the obstacles in France and jump racing are painted white, not orange. Yep. And the um, cross-country course at Cheltenham's painted white, not orange. So, we, you know, it's been happening anyway, so without us particularly necessarily noticing it. Um, so is there any suggestion that, that in France, for example, where you've got white guardrails and white rails across the, across the fences and sort of white fence furniture, if you like, that there, is a, uh, there are fewer falls and fewer catastrophic incidents? <clears throat> Uh, no one's really made that suggestion because I think we are looking really at 
in incremental changes, we're not going to find a silver bullet that fixes all our problems and our woes. We just want to make things safer. Now that we know that horses see those colours better, uh, it's going to help them judge where to take off, where to land, how high to get, uh, and basically hopefully jump better uh, and therefore safer. Um, so we're looking at, um, I don't believe there is a silver bullet out there to, to reduce the, the, the amount of fallers and injuries that happen in jump racing. But we're looking in that sort of kind of Dave Brailsford way of, you know, incremental small changes, uh, which is difficult to monitor necessarily in isolation because, we're, you know, all the time uh, things are changing and improving uh, the way trainers train, the way ground is prepared, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it would be probably wrong to just say there's one, you know, one thing that's going to make a change. Um, but it's all part of the incremental process of improving safety. And to what extent is this is this a result of a sort of national hunt race or jump racing constantly being perceived as under threat? We hear it a lot. We hear it a lot in, in sort of day-to-day narrative. How long will jump racing last, trainers are asking. Are you very conscious of that and always trying to um, just get on the front foot safety-wise? Yeah, as, as, as well because it's the right thing to do. But yes, you know, if, jump, if, jump, if we just stand still, uh, with jump racing and flat racing, but jump racing is obviously much more in the centre of the spotlight than flat racing. Um, then uh, you know, I think we're asleep at the wheels as custodians of the sport. All right, thanks to James Given. Dave Yates is still with me, and Dave has a tip for me for today. Right, I'm going to go to the six o'clock at Wolverhampton and Dora Penny. Uh, this horse is available at double figure odds. She's trained by Dave Evans. Uh, she's won her only start on the all-weather. That was over six at Wolverhampton last August. She comes here on the back of four defeats on turf. But if the return to Tapeta can reignite the spark, then off a mark of 77, Dora Penny is certainly well treated here despite top weight. Six o'clock race at Wolverhampton, number one, Dora Penny. All right, Dave, thanks so much. That was Monday, February the 28th. I'll be back with you to do it all again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.